Welcome to the Relational Grace Podcast, where we share the teachings of Pastor Nick Harris, who taught us that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. I'm Jamie Russell, Pastor Harris's son. In the last four episodes, Pastor Harris has been teaching about each of the spiritual gifts, gifts that he refers to as the motivational gifts. In this teaching, he'll cover the last two of those motivational gifts, which include the gift of administration and the gift of empathy. It's been great taking a deeper dive into each of these gifts and learning about the intricacies of each. I know that it's been enlightening for me to cover each gift one by one. Now one small note before we get into this message. Please remember that these teachings were delivered in Pastor Harris's living room right at the beginning of the COVID-19 lockdown in 2020. That said, don't be surprised when you hear things like dogs barking and other background noises. Also, as a reminder... You can visit gifts.arielministries.com for more resources on this series. These resources include videos from our YouTube channel, complete with on-screen notes, and soon we'll have downloadable study guides available as well. So let's go ahead and get into the fifth episode of the Spiritual Gifts teaching series titled, The Motivational Gifts of Administration and Empathy. Well, I've been talking to you about the fact that it takes three things to do any job well. I don't care what the job is. You have to be properly motivated. You have to be properly equipped. And then you must see manifestations of success. Now, those three things are crucial. Now, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the fact that God provides motivational gifts to take care of that need that we have to be motivated to do a job well. Now, we have looked at several of those gifts, among those being prophets, servants, teachers, exhorters, and givers. Those are the five gifts that we've covered. Now, today we're going to look at two additional gifts. We're going to look at the motivational gift of administration, and we're going to look at the motivational gift of empathy. And both of these are vitally important to the health and to the life of the church. So we'll begin here. What is a motivated administrator? Well, those in the church who have the motivational gift of administration are persons with the spirit-enlightened ability. Now get this, it's important. The spirit-enlightened ability to organize and to govern. Now, the word translated as administration is the Greek noun kubernesis. Now, that's a, that is a really, really important word, kubernesis. Let me spell it for you. K-U-B-E-R-N-E-S-I-S. Let me spell it again if you're writing it down. Kubernesis, K-U-B-E-R-N-E-S-I-S. Now, in the ancient world, those who engaged in the practice of a kubernesoi, that's the that's the plural for Kubernetes, Kubernetesoi, were those who helped steer ships entering into harbor areas. Now, they're like modern pilots that get on ships. I'll never forget when Chris and I were traveling from uh, 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 down, the Roman, uh, d- down the Italian coast. We were heading out uh, to open sea to go to Greece. And as we passed through the Straits of Messina, one of the most famous straits in the world, I thought it was very interesting. I was on deck and I saw a boat that appeared to be chasing us. So I said to somebody, 
standing around. I had never been on a cruise before in my life. I said, what is that? They said, that's the pilot boat. I said, the pilot boat, what the hell about? I said, well, there's a guy on that boat that is an expert at steering boats through these straits because these straits, you've got to know where you're going with these big ships. And he said, he'll climb on board this ship. They'll pull up to the side and he'll get up and he'll go to, uh, to the deck where the captain is and he'll steer the ship through the Messina Straits. Well, that's how I learned about pilot boats. And that's how I learned a great deal about a Kubernetes. That is the task of someone who is a Kubernetes, okay? So they, what these ancient Kubernetes would do. They were, they would sail and guide ships through rocks and shoals and reefs so that the boats could be safely moored. Well, Charles Swindoll, one of the great, great Christian theologians of our time and one of the great preachers, has written these words. I want you to listen to this. A Kubernetes was especially expert in the midst of a storm. Huh. That's very good. Someone who is there in the midst of a storm to keep us from running aground. That's why God places these gifted administrators in the midst of his church. It provides a great definition, by the way. That does what Dr. Swindoll said for the motivational gift administration. You see, they are, here, here's what a Kubernetes is or someone with the gift of administration. They are leaders, rulers, organizers, governors, or administrators. That's the picture of their functioning. Now, learning, leading, organizing, governing, and administrating are words that come from different translations of the scriptures of that same Hebrew word. Now, what I have learned through my 50 years in the ministry has been this. All administrators are natural born leaders. You don't have to teach them to lead by nature. They're born to lead and they flow to leadership. I like to say it this way. They are take charge people who will jump in and start giving orders whenever leadership is lacking. You don't have to beg them to do it. They flow to it. They are adept at putting a plan on paper, but especially adept in delegating responsibility. I know the moment I'm in the presence of an administrator because that's what they do best. They, they delegate responsibility to others. Now, perhaps this gift can best be explained in the following way. They have the spirit-given capacity and desire to serve God by organizing, administering, promoting, and leading the various affairs of the church. The various affairs of the church. Now, with the help of the Holy Spirit, they can help to lead both the various ministries of the church, and they can lead other aspects of the church as well. A church cannot survive without motivated administrators. It's important. Now, administrators usually have one of two leadership styles. Some administrators organize things. Now I'm talking about events or programs. They're especially adept at that. Other administrators 
organized people. They emphasize personal relationships and leadership responsibilities. That's what sets them apart from other types of administrators. Now, let me say this. At times, <clears throat> people think they, not everybody likes administrators. Let me make this clear. Some people think administrators take too much on themselves. And you know what? Sometimes they do. That's the absolute truth. Sometimes they have to watch so that they don't overstep their authority and expect the pastor or others in the leadership to follow them instead of them following God's assigned pastors, okay? And they do not like to admit. Now, here's the key. An administrator does not like to admit that he or she is wrong. That's anathema. Now, there's another problem. They usually do not take time to explain to those under them why they are doing things. They just expect to be followed. That is by nature. Who they, I'm a leader. People should follow me. Their major concern is for a job to get done. They measure everything by, does it work? That's the administrator. And in addition, their patience may wear thin when plans are not carried through as they've laid them out. Now, the best example the New Testament provides of someone having that gift of administration is James, the brother of Jesus. Yes, his half-brother. Now, as we all know, in the earliest days of the church, Simon Peter had assumed leadership. Everyone, you know, after all, he was the closest one to the Lord. And so everybody just said, well, he's the one to lead the church. Here's the problem with Peter. Peter wasn't a motivated administrator. He couldn't administrate anything. This man didn't have an administrative bone in his entire body. Are you with me? Now, the New Testament never says this. You can't find a verse that says he didn't have an administrative bone in his body. But I believe that under his leadership, or lack thereof, things tended to become chaotic in the early church. It wasn't going the way the Lord had planned it to go. However, however, Peter was wise enough to know this. So what did he do? He did the sensible thing. He passed leadership to someone in the church with the gift of administration. And that someone was James. Now, when James assumed control of the Jerusalem church, the church began to expand. It began to grow. It began to be powerful in its message. And then here's another thing. James made multitudes of difficult decisions, which all benefited the kingdom of God. How could he do that? Why couldn't Peter do this? Because Peter didn't have the gift. He was a prophet. He didn't have that gift of administration James had. So James could lead the church through the shoals. He was a Kubernetes. He could keep it from running aground. He knew how to make decisions. That's why administrators are so important. Now, when the first church council was held in Jerusalem, the administrative gift of James became apparent. It was becoming an issue and it was, it was dividing the church up because what you had at that time was up there in the city of Antioch, Assyria. 
You had Gentiles flowing into the church by the hundreds. They were being saved on every hand. And here was these people in Jerusalem that were not happy with this. And so what does James do? James uses his little gray cells. He calls together the first great ecumenical council of the church. And they begin to deal with this problem. Now, I want you to listen to the words as they're written in the book of Acts, chapter 15, verses 13 through 29. Now, they read as follows. Listen carefully now. And after they had become silent, now they being all of these people who are unhappy and creating noise, James answered saying, here comes the administrator. Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon, that means Peter, has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to make out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. It's in the Old Testament, guys. You better listen to what God has said about this. Huh? Okay. Just as it is written. Now, what does he do? He goes directly to Scripture, and he says this. After this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of humankind may seek the Lord, even all the, get this, Gentiles who are called by my name. Are Gentiles called by his name? Yes, they are. James is making that point clear. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord God, who does all these things. Known to God from all eternity are his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are returning to God, but that we write to them to do what? He says, I'm going to write a letter. This is the administrator. I'm going to write a letter. And I'm going to tell them to abstain from things polluted by idols. Does that make sense? Certainly does. From sexual immorality. Does that make sense? It certainly does. From things strangled and from blood. Now that may not make sense to you, but it would to those people who were listening to James. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. There is the solution of the administrator. What's it going to do? It's going to bring peace to the church. It's going to include a whole new group of people, and God is going to assign someone to go out and evangelize that Gentile world. And we know him as the Apostle Paul. All of this happened because of the administrator, James. So, here in James, we find one of the great men in the history of the entire church. Now, I say, Pastor, how do I know whether or not I'm an administrator? Well, here are some things. These are the characteristics that I have found over 50 years in all administrators. Number one, they're always goal-oriented. Always. Secondly, they dream Big dreams. Ooh, I love administrators in my churches because these are the dreamers. These are the people who throw out the ideas, who get balls rolling. Thirdly, one of the things I've learned is they're well-disciplined. 
Fourthly, they can't stand defeat. They don't like to lose. They always want to win. Another thing is they work best under pressure. A lot of people don't. Administrators do. They work best under pressure. They deeply dislike inefficiency. In the seventh place, they tend to be very intense. That's one of the great complaints about about administrators. They're, They're intense. They want things done their way, and they want things done right now. No procrastinating with these people. They tend to be, here's another thing, watch this, watch this, administrators. They tend to be perfectionists. Things must be done right or not done at all. And usually, whether they're right or not, depends upon what the administrator thinks. And then lastly, the biggest problem they have is this. They tend to be workaholics. They have to watch out for their own emotional health. So that is the gift of the administrator. I hope that really cuts to the quick with you. Now, the last and the seventh motivational gift is the gift of the empathizer. Now, this is those people in the church who possess the God-given desire to serve him by comforting and administering to the distress of those in the body. Now, the word empathy translates the Greek noun L-E-A-O, L-E-A-O, which means to be gracious to or to show mercy toward. Now, this gift is not the gift of the sympathizer. It is the gift of the empathizer. See, sympathy is the feelings we have for others, while empathy is the feelings we have with others. We feel other people's pain. That is the nature of an empathizer. In other words, an empathizer experiences what another person feels feels at the deepest level of their lives. They tend to say the right things at the right time, and they cannot bring themselves to hurt another person's feelings. Now, my wife and I have always been on the opposite ends of the motivational gifts. My motivational gift of the prophet is you just say it, you tell the truth, and that's it. If the shoe fits, wear it. If it hurts, that's too bad. But the empathizer, that's not the way it is. And how many times, my wife is sitting right here, how many times would we head home from church in the car? My wife would say to me, Honey, I can't believe that you said what you said this morning. I'd say, Well, what did I say? And then she'd repeat, She said, Don't you know? That hurts, that cuts. Honey, you've got to watch what you say. And she would just be, and the next thing I know, she'd be on the phone talking to them. You see what I'm saying? She feels others' pain. Now, She has the dominant gift of administration that we just touched. But she also has a strong sub-dominant gift of empathy. She feels 
what other people are feeling. That's the key to this gift. You see, on one occasion, we see Jesus demonstrating his special sensitivity to the plight of others. In Matthew 9, 36, we're told how Jesus, now I'm quoting here, when he saw the crowds, listen to this, had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. On another occasion, Jesus observed a widow about to bury her only son. And sensing her pain, the New, Te- the New Living Testament says that the heart of Jesus overflowed with compassion. That's what I'm talking about. That is the motivational gift of empathy. It's overflowing with compassion for people. Now, in the case of Jesus, when he saw this little woman, he approached the funeral procession. And what did he do? He's, He's so moved with compassion Now, you say, Pastor, what moved him with compassion? Just this. This woman had no husband. She was a widow. And her son was the only hope she had. Because in that day and age, a woman with no husband and a woman with no son had nowhere to go, nothing to do. You didn't have jobs in those days where women could go out and, and work in the workforce. That wasn't how it was in that day and age. That did not happen. The only job a woman could do who had lost both her husband and lost her sons was this. She could become a prostitute. And Jesus felt this pain for this woman. You know what he did? He solved the problem with one of the greatest miracles he ever performed. He walked over to the funeral beer. And he resurrected this young man, this boy, from the dead. You see, having lived the human life himself, in a human body himself, our Lord could empathize with all the weaknesses of those around him. Now, I love the word that it uses for Jesus. Instead of empathy, it calls what he feels compassion. And that's what empathy is. It is compassion. Describes that deep sense of mercy. God is the very best at empathy. As a matter of fact, let me just give you some scriptures here. How about Psalms 103, 14? It tells us this. He knows how we are formed. This is talking about Yahweh, our God. He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. That's feeling our pain for us. He personally feels the pain of his people. In Psalms chapter 56, verse 8, in the New Living uh, Translation, we read these words. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. You know, every time I go to Jerusalem, I always make the walk, and I walk it every time, from the top of the Mount of Olives 
down the Palm Sunday path until we reach the Dominus Flavit Chapel. Now, this chapel was designed by a man whose name was Antonio Bartolucci, one of the greatest, many, many, many churches in the Holy Land were designed by him. He was absolutely a mental giant. Now, when Barlucci was hired to build the Dominus Flavit Chapel, what he did is he built this thing up because there is a scripture in the Bible that says that Jesus stopped there and he wept over the city of Jerusalem. He cried tears. He looked down upon the Temple Mount beneath his feet, looking down there at it, and he says the words, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how off would I have gathered you together like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Tears streamed down his cheeks. What does Bartolucci do? On the four corners of this little chapel, there are what is called tear vials. And in those days, people would catch their tears as they came down their cheeks, catch them in a vial. And this little chapel celebrates that instance. Now, those are the words that Jesus was thinking of. You keep track, God does, of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Now, these are the characteristics of most empathizers. They usually have non-combative, non-offensive personalities. That's going to be different from those who are prophets, those who are exhorters. They're more like servants in this. They, they are non-combative, non-offensive personalities, and they are always loving toward other people. And on the other hand, they want to be loved. It's not that they love. They also want that love returned to them. Here's what I've learned about empathizers. They're the best when it comes to listening. They're great listeners. They are also agreeable, and they don't overpower other people. Their hearts go out, especially to the poor and the aged. They naturally attract people who are hurting, and they tend to be extremely, extremely self-sacrificing. They're too compassionate to be counselors. You don't, don't go to empathizers to counsel you. They'll wreck your life because they're too, they, they, they don't want to tell you the truth about yourself. You need exhorters to do that. You certainly don't need prophets to do it, and you certainly don't need empathizers. They're sorry counselors. Okay. Now, they cry easily. As a matter of fact, if you want to see instant tears, just find you an empathizer and they'll cry with you. If that's what you need, you'll find them in them. So these then are the seven motivational gifts. The gift of the prophet, the gift of the servant, the gift of the teacher, the gift of the exhorter, the gift of the giver, the gift of the administrator, and the gift of the empathizer. The seven things God does to motivate, motivate people 
to serve in his body. Every one of you has a dominant gift, and some of you will have several subdominant gifts. One of them is dominant. Find out first what the dominant one is, then begin to look at the subdominant gifts. Now, we must remember that every born again believer has a gift. And God places these motivational gifts in our lives and expects us to utilize them. God does not give us the gifts to say, well, bless my sweetheart, I'm a prophet. Well, big deal. All seven gifts are equally important. All seven gifts are necessary for the church to be strengthened and to become what God expects the church to be and become. Are you with me? Now, next time that we're together, we're going to move from the motivational gifts to the ministry gifts. We're going to see how God uses certain persons in the church. Everyone has motivational gifts, but only set aside ones will have ministry gifts. And that will be our subject matter. God bless you all. Thank you for being with me today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. If you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to connect with Ariel Ministries on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our email list at arielministries.com. That's Ariel spelled A-R-I-E-L. We look forward to keeping you updated on upcoming episodes and projects. If you would like to support the missional efforts of Ariel Ministries in Thoraka, Kenya with Each One Feed One, we'd like to remind you that 10% of all donations to Ariel Ministries will support this missional effort. Visit arielministries.com give for online donations and other methods of giving. To learn more about the Tharaka mission, you can visit arielministries.com missions. You can also listen to episode 26 for a deeper dive into how our relationship with Each One Feed One and the McCarter family started over 35 years ago, where we are today, and where we're headed in the future. 